Kanye West starts following Jesus and calls abortion the killing of children. Tulsi Gabbard says it's okay to kill younger babies, but not older ones. And everyone else celebrates killing all unborn children. We will examine the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Thanks for tuning in today. If you're watching this, you'll see we have a new studio behind us. A lot of improvements we're bringing to you. And we have a lot of new things on the horizon to bring to you too in terms of interview and conversations and more examination of what's happening in the culture, in our politics, on the front lines of the pro-life movement and in the abortion wars. You need to be aware of what's happening. Our country is more divided on the issue of abortion than ever before. And you need a community of people in a place where you can get equipped, encouraged, and updated with what's happening in the country. So please consider becoming a patron of the show as we bring you more content in the future. You'll be able to watch it as well in our new and improved studios. Well, I want to examine some things that I haven't been able to in the month of October because I've been on the road and uh, and we've been releasing really helpful topical episodes to defend life. But it's been a while since we've done an examination of the news and why it matters. And so on October 15th, we saw the fourth Democratic presidential debate in Ohio, and we saw the Democratic Party rear its very ugly head. The Democratic Party right now, which is just an extension of the pro-choice movement, let's be honest, is a wounded animal that's that's running scared and snapping back at its opponents every chance it gets. It's running scared. It's wounded. It's like a wounded lion that's all the more dangerous because of it, because the pro-life movement is winning. This administration is the most pro-life administration, arguably, in American history. Love him or hate him, Donald Trump is the most pro-life president in American history. And we have had so many wins for the pro-life movement through this administration. And we've talked about some of those before. Now, of course, there's always more to be done, right? Of course, has Trump been perfect? No, he should have defunded Planned Parenthood the second he stepped into office while he had the Senate and the House. So there's plenty more that we can do. But this has been the best administration for the pro-life movement in decades. So the Democratic Party's scared. And that's starting to come out. Their fear is starting to come out. Their anger is starting to come out in these debates. And so the ugliness of our current political climate is that every Democratic presidential candidate, except Tulsi Gabbard, wants to kill babies through the day of birth, on demand, without apology, and fund it with your tax dollars because they all want to overturn the Hyde Amendment, which keeps your tax dollars from explicitly funding Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. However, that's really beside the point because money's fungible. So we still give Planned Parenthood half a billion dollars a year, even though we still have the Hyde Amendment. But they want to get rid of that as well. So we're going to look at Kamala Harris, we're going to look at Cory Booker, and we're going to look at the ugly, then we're going to look at the bad, then we're going to look at the good, and we'll, we'll leave off with a, a point of encouragement for all of us. So I want to play this clip from Kamala Harris on October 15th at the Democratic presidential debate in Ohio so that you know how, of, how evil and corrupt and abortion crazy Kamala Harris is as women's rights are being taken from them, as women's rights are being rolled back as white male pro-life legislators are trying to control women's bodies by asking them not to kill their unborn female women. So here's what she had to say at the debates. And it is not an exaggeration to say women will die 
Poor women, women of color will die because these Republican legislatures in these various states who are out of touch with America are telling women what to do with our bodies. Women are the majority of the population in this country. People need to keep their hands off of women's bodies and let women make the decisions about their own lives. Yay, yay, a, a woman, a, a black woman who supports killing more unborn black women because abortion kills more black babies than any other form of injustice. Yay, the most dangerous place for an African-American to be is in the womb. Here's here's interracial Kamala Harris campaigning on the killing more babies that, who will be more black babies in, than any other ethnicity and demonizing white males who want to pass laws to try to keep you from killing unborn children. Wow, what, what a warrior, what a true feminist, what a warrior for, for women's rights and equality. So Kamala Harris is, 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 is laying into to white pro-life legislators because she hates them and she's angry and she's scared that the pro-life movement's winning. And so she's saying that these pro-life laws being passed by white pro-life males or really anyone is going to lead to the death of poor women and women of color. Okay, now what does she mean by that? What does that mean? Why is she making that accusation? Because poor women and women of color do obtain a disproportionate amount of abortions, right? We've talked about the statistics that African-Americans account for 13% of the American public, according to U.S. Census Bureau, but they obtain fully 33% of the annual abortions. That's crazy. So that's what she's referring to. But she's saying that pro-life laws are going to lead. It is not an exaggeration to say that women will die. Poor women, women of color. Yes, yes, poor unborn women of color will die. <laughs> of course, that's not what she means. Because these Republican legislators are out of touch with America. Okay, let, let's translate what Kamala Harris is saying. What she's really saying is that pro-life laws will make it more difficult for women to access abortion. And women of color who need, quote unquote, need more abortions. So if these women face a life-threatening pregnancy, and they might die, the pregnancy continues, but abortion is more difficult to get because of pro-life legislators, then they will die due to the difficulty in obtaining an abortion. So it's all the white Republicans' faults, okay? So this raises the question, is abortion ever medically necessary? Of course, Kamala Harris isn't going to answer that question, but that's the question that's actually sitting under the surface of her ad hominem attacks, right? She's saying pro-life laws will make abortion more difficult to get. Then poor women and women of color who obtain a disproportionate amount of abortions will die because they can't get an abortion thanks to pro-life legislators. Okay, well, what's the question seeping under the surface there? Do women need an abortion to save their life? If they're going to die... What would they die from? Could we prevent them from dying? Yes, we could. And you don't have to intentionally dismember the baby in an abortion to save the mother's life. We talked about this recently. Facebook censored live actions content, making the claim that abortion is never medically necessary and citing a ton of biologists and medical professionals saying that abortion is never medically necessary because you can either induce early labor or you can perform a cesarean section, give the unborn baby the best chance at life by delivering them early while saving the mother's life as well. So abortion's never medically necessary. But this, she's assuming it is when she says this. It is not an exaggeration to say women will die because of pro-life legislators making abortion more difficult to get. And then she says that these legislators are out of touch with America. 
Kamala Harris is such a bold-faced liar. It is unreal that she gets away with it. I, don't, I mean, she has the media on her side, so of course she gets away with it. But it's unreal that the rest of the American public continue to love her and refuse to recognize what a liar she is. According to Gallup poll, last year, 13% of Americans support legalized third trimester abortions. Yeah, that's a minority. 13% think that killing babies in the last three months should be legal. And so she says that these Republican legislators are out of touch with America. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're in touch with at least half of America and fully 87% who don't want to kill babies in the third trimester. So Kamala Harris lying on national television. Of course, no fact check from CNN or Snopes. And so Kamala Harris continues in her, in her lambasting of pro-life legislators and in her, in her, you know, her very well-meaning, well-intentioned anger against people trying to stop the killing of children. For any state that passes a law that violates the Constitution, and in particular Roe v. Wade, our Department of Justice will review that law to determine if it is compliant with Roe v. Wade and the Constitution, and if it is not, that law will not go into effect. That's called preclearance. Because the reality is that while we still have, as I said earlier, these state legislators, legislators who are outdated and out of touch, mostly men who are telling women what to do with their bodies, then there needs to be accountability and consequence. Okay, so easy claps for Kamala Harris, of course. This is put on by CNN. Everyone there is probably abortion crazy anyways. <laughs> and so they love Kamala Harris. So she says that she's just going to run roughshod over the Constitution and refuse to allow states to propose and pass legislation that would challenge Roe versus Wade in the first place. So no more of these states, no Alabamas, no Georgias, no Missouris, no Ohios. Stop trying to save babies in the womb. We need to kill more babies because Planned Parenthood pays me a lot of money to keep me in office. <laughs> the abortion industry pays me a lot of money to campaign on the dismemberment of children. So she's just going to ignore historical realities that sometimes the Supreme Court have passed really bad legislation. Sometimes human beings proposing policy have passed bad policy. And we've had to turn that back. We've had to overturn that. We've had to reel that back. So notice what she's doing here. Kamala Harris is begging the question. She's assuming that Roe versus Wade is correct. Now, of course she is because she loves abortion, but that's the exact issue being debated. The exact issue being debated in the first place is should Roe v. Wade be challenged because the courts got it wrong and unborn children are persons with rights or are unborn babies not babies and abortion is just another form of health care? That's the entire debate at stake. But she, she she's not going to answer that question. She's not going to make a defense as to why Roe versus Wade is morally correct. She's just going to say any state that tries to pass pro-life legislation that would challenge Roe is going to be previewed before they can pass it. She said that's called pre-clearance. How unconstitutional. My office is going to step in and determine if your legislation is too radical in saving babies. And if it challenges Roe in any way, shape or form, you're not even going to have a chance to vote on that. My goodness, this is abortion crazy. So she's begging the question, not even going to address the question that needs to be answered in the first place, which is, did Roe versus Wade get it wrong? You need to make a defense as to why Roe versus Wade is a good thing that the rest of the American public should get on board of rather than avoiding the central question. So Kamala Harris continues. But, uh, you know, I'll go further. You may have seen I, I questioned Brett Kavanaugh when I was a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. 
and asked him as a nominee to serve on the United States Supreme Court, could he think of any law that tells a man what to do with his body? And the answer was uh, uh, no. <laughs> so, so Kamala Harris pandering and, and reminding everyone what a great defender she is. She hated Kavanaugh. She never wanted him to get on the Supreme Court because he's a serial rapist, pro-life act, uh, activist or something. So she's doing a couple things here. First, she's being wildly dishonest and cynical by saying, you know, I asked Kavanaugh, was there any law that tells a man what he can do with his body? And he answered, uh, uh, no. Yes, there are. There's tons of laws that tell men what to or not do with their body. And that, that goes across the gender spectrum. There's plenty of laws that tell women what they can and cannot do with their body as well. And usually those laws are the same laws, like don't rape, don't murder, don't steal, don't drive drunk, don't beat your wife, you can't streak, you can't assault people. This is the government telling men what they can or cannot do with their body. But then Kamala Harris begs the question again, because she's setting up the question with the assumption that it's just the mother's body. Why else ask the question, is there a law that tells a man what he can do with his body or can't do with his body? She's assuming, of course, that there's only one body involved in the abortion debate, the mother's. Well, is it just the pregnant mother's body? She's begging the question again. That's, in this, that's the entire debated issue, which is, is it just one body or not? Is it just the mother's body? In which case, pro-life legislators are deeply immoral individuals for trying to control women's bodies? Or is there another body? So the body in her body is not her body. There would be two bodies. Of course, I talk about this all the time. If there's only one body involved, then pregnant women must have 20 fingers, 20 toes, two brains, two hearts, two different blood types, two different DNA codes. And if she's pregnant with a boy, now pregnant women have a vagina and a penis. Okay, that doesn't work. So there's two bodies involved. But she's assuming that there's just one. So she's begging the question up and down the political spectrum as she's celebrating abortion. But then Kamala Harris continues with, with his final, uh, with his final uh, soapbox moment where she makes a very strange and somewhat contradictory case for what she's actually trying to say. The reality of it is this is still a fundamental issue of justice for women in America. Women have been given the responsibility to perpetuate the human species. Our bodies were created to do that. And it does not give any other person the right to tell a woman what to do with that body. It is her body. It is her right. It is her decision. Senator Harris, thank you. <laughs> Did you catch that? I mean, that's pretty funny. At first, I, at first I thought that, that maybe some pro-lifer had hijacked her audio or, or that maybe she, she uh, accidentally let reality slip off of her tongue. Because she said, women's bodies were created to do that, to, to what? Create new bodies, new humans. We we're created to perpetuate the human species, to create new humans. But then she says, but nobody can tell a woman what to do with that body. I, I, I was like, you're right. No, yet nobody should be doing anything to that body, except she meant the mother's body, not the baby's body. So Kamala Harris makes this very strange argument where she starts with where the pro-life movement starts, which is biology, which is the natural ordering, which is natural law. She says, our bodies were created to do this, to make new bodies. She says, to perpetuate the human species. Well, that would assume that it indeed are humans that are being perpetuated and created and those humans begin in your womb. So she's making a natural biological argument that our bodies were created to create new humans. 
So you kind of just acknowledge what the pro-life movement's saying, that the body in your body is not your body, <laughs> but then saying nobody has the right to tell a woman to not kill the new human she already created because Kamala Harris said our bodies were created to create new humans. So something like this is always so disturbing because reality has an annoying tendency of reasserting itself in our lives. And it reasserted itself right in front of Kamala's face, slapped her left and right. And she accidentally let reality slip by saying, yeah, we create new life. We create new humans. Also, we should be able to kill the new humans we create. Very, very disturbing. So this is the ugly. We're going to continue with the ugly with Cory Booker here in a second. And we're going to briefly um, look at something even uglier from the Dem debate. Cory Booker saying that abortion is holy and worthy of our worship like the Moloch servile that he is. But first, I have an exciting announcement. This fall and spring semester in partnership with Students for Life of America, I'm going on the road for my university speaking tour entitled Abortion is Genocide. Actually kicked it off last week at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, went really well, had protesters behind me outside of the window behind where I was speaking for 50 minutes of my lecture and 50 minutes of the Q&A shouting, Seth Gruber will not take away our right to choose. Reproductive healthcare is healthcare. And there was this very creepy and ironic moment where I was playing the abortion video showing those who attended my lecture what abortion looks like. And in the background, you hear reproductive health care is health care. Abortion is a human right. While we're looking at the human right of abortion, while we're looking at what reproductive health care looks like, it was a very strange clashing of worlds between reality and fantasy, between truth and lies, between light and darkness. Of course, none of those students came in because they're that tolerant that they can't they can't hear ideas that they don't like. And, uh, but someone called me the Antichrist, which was, which was lovely. That was nice, very tolerant. So I kicked that off. I'm going to be at Grand Canyon University, Cal State Long Beach, University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And then my spring semester is filling up as well. So if you're a student at a Catholic club, philosophy club, Christian club, or Students for Life Club. Consider bringing me to your campus in the spring. I have a few slots left, and I think this will be a very impactful lecture for your university because we'll be examining abortion in the larger historical context of genocide. Genocide always entails stripping human beings of personhood so you can justify their mass extermination and slaughter. It's another form of bigotry, and it leads to the same consequences. Lots of dead, innocent human beings sacrificed on a bad ideology that's now being recycled in the abortion industry. So we'll be right back with Cory Booker saying we need to worship abortion. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. All righty, welcome back to Unaborted. We are examining the good, the bad, and the ugly of the last month in the abortion debate in our country. So we're continuing with the ugly with Cory Booker at the October 15th Democratic presidential debate in Ohio, where all of the Dem candidates practically were going abortion crazy, just, just scraping for the blood money thrown at them by the abortion industry as they praise abortion and pander to the political left and pro-choice movement. And so Cory Booker, of course, who's always been abortion crazy, steps up to the plate to bat for Molech. And here's what he had to say. First of all, let's be clear about this law, these laws we see from Alabama to Ohio. They're not just attacks on one of the most sacrosanct ideals in our country, liberty, the ability to control your own body. Abortion is the most sacrosanct idea in America. Now, of course, that's not what he said. He said the right to control your body. He's talking about abortion in this whole clip. Okay, so translation, translating pro-abortion rhetoric into reality. Abortion is the most sacrosanct ideal in America. 
not not freedom of expression, not freedom of speech, not freedom of worship, not freedom of association, not freedom to launch a business without government overreach, not freedom to plan your family how you want, not freedom to have as many kids as you want, since you're not living in China. No, no, no. Those aren't those aren't the most sacrosanct ideals. The most sacrosanct ideal in America is paying a physician to rip the arms off of your unborn child in the womb. Well, what is sacrosanct? Sacrosanct comes from the word sacred. It, it's to say that something is sacred. Well, sacred simply means to declare something is holy or worthy of worship. That's what sacred means. So Cory Booker is saying that abortion is holy and worthy of our worship because it's that type of ideal. It's that sacred of an ideal. It's, it's, de it's deserving of our worship. <sighs> Intellectually and spiritually honest pro-aborts have always admitted that abortion is sacred because it's the sacrifice of children to pagan gods. But intellectually dishonest pro-aborts won't admit this because that's a step too far for the American public. That's a step too far for most pro-choice individuals who are sort of pro-choice by default because they grew up in a country where they were indoctrinated with bad ideas and weren't given the pro-life ideas to consider. So Cory Booker is being intellectually honest. He's admitting that abortion is a form of child sacrifice. Abortion is sacred. It's deserving of our worship. It's holy. But what is abortion? Abortion is the, is the murder of a child in their mother's womb. Well, to who? Well, to whatever ideals you believe are worthy of worship. You don't, you don't just kill a baby because in and of itself it's holy. It's done for a purpose. It's done because you view yourself as your own God. Or you're doing it because you view something else as a God, something else as an idol, something else as a supreme good to which you will put yourself in enslavement in order to obtain your version of the good life, even though the end result is a dead baby. And intellectually honest pro-aborts who are radical in their own right will admit that abortion is actually sacred. And, and it, it's a sacrifice to pagan gods in order to obtain a blessing, in order to pursue your version of the good life. And so Jeanette Paris, a pagan author, in her book, The Sacrament of Abortion, in 1992, her book's called The Sacrament of Abortion. So her and Cory Booker could probably get a good book deal co-writing a book together. Talks about how abortion is the sacrifice of children to pagan gods. And here are some lines from her 1992 book, The Sacrament of Abortion. She says that I have drawn inspiration throughout this book from a guiding image, the Artemis of Greek mythology. Artemis is a Greek, the Greek goddess of childbirth. So there's something ironic there too. You're sacrificing your children to the goddess of childbirth by preventing childbirth. She goes on and says, it is not immoral to choose abortion. It is simply another kind of morality, a pagan one. It is time to stop being defensive about it. Time to point an accusatory finger at the other camp, the pro-life movement, and denounce its own immoral stance. So you see, killing babies is moral. It's just a different kind of morality. It's a pagan one. And so Jeanette Paris says that that pro-abortion morality trumps the pro-life morality that says we shouldn't kill babies. And so servants of Artemis, servants of Molech, ought to point the finger at the pro-life movement and say that they're the immoral ones. What a strange inversion of reality indeed. She continues and said, abortion is a sacrifice to Artemis. Abortion is a sacrament for the gift of life to remain pure. Ew, that is so creepy. 
In order for your life to remain pure, you're going to deprive the child that you created's life because children are not a blessing. Children are a curse and they prevent you from pursuing career well-being and bodily autonomy. And she finishes and says, our culture needs new rituals as well as laws to restore abortion to its sacred dimension, which is both terrible and necessary. Total acknowledgement that abortion kills a baby. Total acknowledgement. But it's sacred, it's necessary, and it's sacrificed to pagan gods in order to, pres- in order to pursue your pagan version of morality and the good life. And Cory Booker says that abortion is the most sacrosanct ideal in America. Sacred, worthy of worship, and holy. So Cory Booker says killing babies is holy, worthy of our worship. Nothing more to say about that. So Cory Booker continues. But there are particularly another example of people trying to punish, trying to penalize, trying to criminalize poverty because this is disproportionately affecting low-income women in this country, people in rural areas in this country. It is an assault on the most fundamental ideal that human beings should control their own body. So Cory Booker says the very similar thing that Kamala Harris was saying, which is that that people of low income and people of color, they need more abortions, which again, is that's a very racist thing to say, by the way. And Cory Booker and Kamala Harris both being black themselves, maybe someone should tell them that. This is very racist to say. To, to make the the assumption and the argument that I guess he's not saying uh, women of color. He's saying the poor. But Kamala Harris is saying that women of color as well. The poor and women of color, they need abortions because they're poor. We need to help them kill more of their children so that they don't get more poor. So you're going to sacrifice children to pagan idols in order to avoid poverty. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful version of morality right there. But Cory Booker is making the same type of line of argument here, which is that poor people need more abortions. And so these pro-life people, these pro-life legislators who are trying to protect more babies in the womb by passing pro-life legislation is going to disproportionately affect people of low income who need abortion the most. So really, right, if you think about it, you could just say that pro-life legislators, yeah, they're criminalizing poverty. That's what they're doing. They're punishing poor people. What's the punishment, by the way, Cory Booker? Oh, a baby. That's what you mean by punish. When, when he says that they're going to punish and criminalize poverty, and then he says why? Because this disproportionately affects people of low income. Translation, pro-life legislators are going to punish poor people with babies because they're going to make it more difficult to kill babies. Translation. Thank you, Cory Booker. Thank you for being such a firm defender of human equality. Thank you for for demonizing poor people by telling them that true empowerment and and the true road to financial freedom and success is killing your unborn child to make sure you don't get more poor. It is a poverty, no pun intended, to tell the poor that in order to be free and not suffer, you must make your unborn child suffer and die for you. That's what Cory Booker's really saying here. And then he says that pro-life laws and pro-life legislators are attacking, they're, they're assaulting the most fundamental ideal that human beings should control their own body. So he's making the same type of sacred argument here. Before it was sacred, now it's fundamental. It's sacred and fundamental, ideal, that, that women should be able to kill their babies through all nine months of pregnancy because that's bodily autonomy, except not unborn humans, not unborn humans, scratch them, literally scratch them, tear them apart, dismember them, Cory Booker does not want to protect the most fundamental idea that unborn humans should control their own body. 
that unborn children should have bodily autonomy and the right to have your hands kept off of them. The left, it's very interesting, will decry any type of assault on a human being's bodily autonomy, violence, sexual, or, uh, or murder. Unless you're an unborn human, unless you're an unborn human, then everyone should attack you. Everyone should get their hands all over you and dismember you so that we can say that it's really about the bodily autonomy of the woman. It's really about the fundamental idea of women's rights for the woman who in the 99% of cases engage in a consensual act of sex that led to the creation of that new human being. But we really need to kill them in order to say that we are advocates of racial equality and, and advocates of the poor. Wow, unreal. So, translation, stopping the dismemberment of a baby's body is an attack on the fundamental idea that human beings should control their own body. So I'll let, I'll let you try to work that one off for yourself. And then Booker continues and says that he's going to create an office of abortion for, for Artemis and, and Moloch, I guess. And so the way, as President of the United States, I'm going to deal with this is, first of all, elevating it like we have with other national crises to a White House level position. And I will create the Office of Reproductive Freedom uh, and Reproductive Rights in the, in the White House and make sure that we begin to fight back on a systematic attempt that's gone on for decades to undermine Roe v. Wade. I will fight to codify it. And I will also make sure that we fight as this country to repeal the Hyde Amendment so that we are leading the planet Earth in defending the global you, assault Senator. we see on women right now. You see, Nazis and the SS, they were really just like an office of like German um, equality. You know, they were just like an office of German supremacy, uh, of German freedom. That's all it was. The SS was just a party of German freedom. Right? Right? Don't, no, 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 don't talk about the 13 million dead people and the 6 million dead Jews. They were just the office of German freedom. The, this is, that's as ludicrous as saying that your office of reproductive freedom is a good thing. The office of reproductive freedom is literally going to be an office that Cory Booker would create as president in order to kill more babies, make sure that no laws passed that would stop a woman from killing her baby at any point during the pregnancy, codify Roe v. Wade into federal law so no state, no state has the freedom to pass its own pro-life legislation and then repeal the Hyde Amendment, explicitly funneling your tax dollars to the abortion industry. But it's the office of reproductive freedom. Re yeah, reproductive freedom. Not free because you are forcing Americans to fund it against their will. And not reproduction because it's annihilating the lives of babies already reproduced. I'm all on board with reproductive freedom. You should be able to have sex when you want and start a family when you want. You should be able to choose to use non-abortifacient contraceptives if and when you choose. But once something has been reproduced, then it's not an issue or a matter of reproductive freedom anymore. Reproduction has already happened. The euphemistic doublespeak that the enemies of human equality will resort to in order to make you swallow their lies wholesale and support them and get them out of office is disgusting. Cory Booker and Kamala Harris are bold-faced liars who are fully aware of the euphemistic doublespeak that they're using and are probably all likely in Planned Parenthood's pocket anyways. So basically, Cory Booker is saying that we need an office and staff for the, the sacrosanctity of abortion because he called the most sacrosanct right in America is to kill babies in the womb. So you're going to create an office and staff for the sacrosanctity of abortion. <laughs> unreal, unreal. This type of radicalness, this type of radical abortion 
commitment would have been nearly incomprehensible in the Democratic Party four, eight, 12 years ago. And now it's par for the course. So essentially, people are going to gather and work in an office to honor and promote something sacred. That's all. That's all because abortion is sacrosanct. So abortion is sacred. So abortion is worthy of our worship and it's holy. So we're going to create a group of people, a community, an office, a staff that are centered around the idea of honoring and promoting something sacred. So basically the Church of Satan. Now, maybe you think that's a step too far, but the Church of Satan is a church. They believe abortion sacred. They promote abortion more than anyone else. They fully admit that abortion is sacred and that it is the sacrifice of children to pagan gods and to Satan. So this sounds just like a like advocates of the Church of Satan getting into politics to start an office for the sacred holiness of abortion. That's what's happening here if you really want to break it down. And yet, Cory Booker and the Democratic left tell us, don't impose your religious beliefs. <laughs> you, you stupid pro-life Christians imposing your Christian ideals of life being sacred, of life being intrinsically valuable. But they're perfectly willing to impose their pagan religious beliefs on babies whom they kill and on the American public that they want to force fund abortion in the first place. So that's the ugly. That's the ugly from the last month and certainly from the Democratic presidential debates. But at least it's an honest ugly, right? At least it's honest. It's not an, it's not an ugly that is, that is seeking to hide their position. Sure, they're going to lie about the details. They're all liars. But they say, yeah, abortion to the day of birth. Yep. And, and the senators here refuse to vote for that Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which just said infanticide is bad and we should have more protections in place for babies born alive during botched abortions. So at least it's an honest ugly. At least they're saying, yeah, I fully believe in the abortion lie. Babies are not babies. They're not human beings. They don't have rights. We can kill them through the day of birth. All right. Well, at least you're showing your cards. Democratic candidates, most of them, are intellectually honest with their position on abortion. They support abortion through the day of birth and refuse to vote against infanticide. But an honest villain is better than a dishonest villain. I would rather have an honest villain look me in the face and tell me the truth than a dishonest villain look me in the face and lie to me about their villainous nature. So we're going to look at the bad next, which is less radical. It's less extreme. But it's a dishonest villainry because it's an attempt to lie about what this person actually promotes and believes in the first place. But first, if you like the show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the abortion wars, from the pro-life movement, then head on over to patreon.com slash unaborted. And I'd ask you to consider becoming a patron of the show. Five, 10, 15 bucks a month, something small. Help us bring you better content to young people in the church who aren't equipped to defend life, who sometimes don't even know what they think about abortion, to parents who often feel ill-equipped to talk to their students and their kids about abortion, to youth pastors and pastors and Christian leaders who I know sometimes have told me they've never preached a single sermon on abortion in their entire career. Or if they have, they just preached out of Psalm 139 about how God knit life together in the womb so abortion's bad. Not equipping the saints to go out and engage the culture by being salt and light and being a voice for our unborn neighbors. And the sad reality, friends, is that Greg Cunningham correctly said that there are more people working full-time to kill babies than there are working full-time to save them. And so we need your help 
to save more babies because it is costly to do so while the abortion industry is making a ton of money on the killing of those same babies. And so with your help, we can continue to produce this show, increase our production value, bring on guests, bring you more training and helpful content. So you have sort of a community and a one-stop shop of unaborted human beings where you can get equipping, encouragement, training, and humor. So you can go back out and be a voice for the unborn neighbors in our midst. We'll be right back. So welcome back to Unaborted. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The ugly is indeed ugly, isn't it? The Democratic Party, an extension of the pro-choice movement, has reared its ugly head. And they did so at the at the fourth Democratic presidential debate in Ohio on October 15th. And it is an ugly crazy. However, an honest villain is better than a dishonest villain. I, I know how radical this is. It's unreal. These senators didn't even vote to condemn infanticide. But at least they're honest. At least they're intellectually honest and take their bad ideas to their logical conclusion, which is that if you can kill a baby in the womb at one stage, you should be able to kill that baby through all stages of the pregnancy. Because any line you draw will be a false arbitrary line that could be drawn to justify the killing of born people because the unborn child differs from us in much the same ways that we differ from one Another. So any argument to kill unborn humans can equally be used to kill born humans because we're not valuable because of our capacities and functions which come along with a level of development. We're valuable because of our human nature because that's the only thing we have in common, right? That's the only thing we share as human beings. So at least they're a bad intellectual, they're an ugly intellectually honest. The bad is Tulsi Gabbard. The bad is the dishonest villain of Tulsi Gabbard at these debates. And a lot of pro-life individuals and moderate pro-life individuals are claiming this newfound respect for Tulsi Gabbard. Look, she's departing from the radical nature of the rest of the Democratic candidates. No, she's not. She's radical. She's immoral. She believes you should be able to kill babies. She's pretty left on all, all other policies if you wanted to, besides abortion. But she's a dishonest villain. Because she acknowledges that she used to be pro-life. Now she supports abortion just up until a certain point. So we're going to look at that in a second. But I want to play you a clip from what she had to say at the debates. Uh, I agree with Hillary Clinton on one thing, disagree with her on many others. But when she said abortion should be safe, legal and rare, I think she's correct. We see how the consequences of laws that you're referring to can often lead to a dangerous place, as we've seen them as they're passed in other countries where a woman who uh, has a miscarriage past that six weeks could be imprisoned because abortion would be illegal at that point. Uh, I do, however, think that there should be some restrictions in place. I support codifying Roe v. Wade while making sure that during the third trimester, abortion is not an option unless the life or severe health consequences of a woman are at risk. Thank you very much. All right, so Tulsi Gabbard makes a couple talking points here. One, she says that if you ban early abortions, women will be criminalized for having miscarriages, which is a common talking point on the left, and that she believes that you should arbitrarily draw a line at the end of the second trimester and not kill babies older than second trimester. Don't kill third trimester babies, just kill second trimester and first trimester babies. Wait, aren't they the same baby? Yeah, they are. So you're, you're a dishonest villain who's acknowledging that the unborn child has some moral worth, but you're going to draw arbitrary lines on when that moral worth, be worth begins without giving any defense or reason as to why the line you drew is meaningful in the first place, why the line you drew is value giving in the first place. 
So very dishonest villain. I would rather prefer a radical Cory Booker, or radical Kamala Harris, who at least will stare me in the face and tell me the, tell me the freaking truth. If the baby has no value whatsoever, then kill them all and force people to fund it because it's not a person. Thank you. At least you're honest. But she's just going to say it's okay to kill first and second trimester babies, but not third trimester babies. Why? No reason is given. So she starts with her attack on pro-life legislators and laws because you see the consequences of pro-life laws that ban abortion at early stages of development is that women will be criminalized for having miscarriages. Now, I've gotten this attack in question before in debates. You're going to criminalize women for having miscarriages, Seth. Look at, look at Seth. Look, he's trying to criminalize women. Even if this were true, even if it were true that when a woman had a miscarriage in an early stage of development where abortion is already illegal, that doesn't prove that abortion is a moral right. Let's, let's take what she's saying on face value. Let's give her the benefit of the doubt that there's no way for our legal system and politics to determine if a woman caused a self-abortion or whether it was just a miscarriage. Assuming that we have no idea to determine what the cause of death of the unborn child was, this isn't an argument for the legality or morality of abortion. Even if that happened, even if we showed up and there was a dead fetus in the toilet and the mother said it, it was a miscarriage and no, maybe it was an abortion. Maybe you killed them. So because we don't know, we're taking you to county jail. Even if that happened and we had no way of knowing, that's not an argument that abortion should remain legal because it's abortion would still be the killing of a baby. So that you're not making a case here for why abortion should be allowed in the first and second trimester, Tulsi Gabbard. So she's really begging the question here, too, because if we looked at this in another scenario, we wouldn't make the same argument. She wouldn't make the same argument. For example, is it unjust? Is it wrong? Is it immoral for the police to investigate the family of a toddler who was stabbed to death in their home? We don't know who killed the toddler. There's a dead toddler in the home. Did someone come in and kill the toddler or was it one of the parents? We don't know. But we can't investigate the parents. That would be wrong. No, the, the police would have to determine in a post-Roe world where abortion is illegal at the early stages of development, if there was suspicious or suspect circumstances involved in an early abortion, then the police would be required to investigate and determine the cause of death. Similarly, as we would with the toddler, the police would have to investigate to rule out that it wasn't any of the parents who killed the toddler. We have to determine the cause of death. And there's ways for us to do that. If a woman in, it does a self-abortion, okay, there's ways for us to determine if, if she killed the baby or if it was just a miscarriage. And if there's no evidence that would suggest that she actually aborted her baby or killed her baby, then naturally the other solution and the most common explanation is that it was a miscarriage. So we're not going to criminalize and jail up women who have miscarriages in a country where abortion is illegal in the early stages of development where many miscarriages happen. So she's begging the question by assuming that that's wrong to do in the case of unborn children, but wouldn't be wrong to do in the case of toddlers by ruling out that it wasn't the family who led to the death or killed the baby in question. But she continues and says, I support codifying Roe v. Wade. So just like Cory Booker, we're going to run roughshod over the Constitution and not allow states to pass pro-life legislation. We're going to codify it for federal law. So no more saving babies in pro-life states before viability. But she says, but third trimester abortions are really bad. Oh, it's really, it's really bad. That, you know, this is like saying you can kill Timmy before his first birthday, but not after. I am Peter Singer would be all for that. Totally for that. So is there a more visceral sort of disgusting nature of killing infants? Yeah, because we see them and they look more like us. So there's something more visceral about that. But from a moral perspective, they're equally wrong because it's the same baby. 
right? The toddler, the infant, and that same baby in the womb is indeed the same baby. Peter Singer wants to kill babies up to one years old. He doesn't think they're persons. So this is like saying you can kill Timmy before his first birthday, guys, okay? Um, but but not after because see now, see now he's he's older than one. So now the arbitrary line of your first birthday suddenly gave you human rights. Yay, congratulations. Don't kill Timmy after his first birthday. That It's equally ludicrous to say kill babies before the third trimester. Kill them in the first and second trimester, but not the third trimester. Why, Tulsi Gabbard? That doesn't make any sense. Isn't it the same baby? Was some magical person personhood conferring fairy dust sprinkled on the baby at the end of the second trimester? No explanation is given for the value-giving difference between the second and the third trimester baby. And Tulsi Gabbard used to be pro-life. She actually used to also be opposed to same-sex marriage. She was somewhat of a religious conservative. And we're going to examine maybe some of the reasons why she walked away from that. But I want to play you a clip from her interview with Dave Rubin last month where she admits that she was pro-life and then Rubin questions her as to how she evolved on this issue. So we're going to play you that clip. On this, how, how did you evolve on this? Uh, really just an understanding the role of government. And, and I take a more libertarian position uh, on this issue that government um, really shouldn't be in that place of uh, dictating to a woman the choice that, that she should make. Um, I think that there should be some restrictions, though. Uh, you know, for me personally, it's I would not make that choice for myself. But I don't believe that I should be telling anybody else the kinds of decisions that they should make for themselves or for their family. Uh, and therefore, a woman should have the right to choose. And I, I will stand up and, and fight to protect do, her do right to do so. Dishonest villain. Dishonest villain. Won't admit what she really believes and won't take her ideas to their logical and intellectual conclusions. If you used to be pro-life, Tulsi Gabbard, meaning, assuming that you actually had reasons for why, such as, I don't know, babies are babies, unborn children are humans, and abortion is an intentional act of violence that kills that baby, that human beings have intrinsic value, and that value doesn't, doesn't, isn't given to you during childbirth. You actually have it at all stages of your development. Assuming that you actually had certain reasons for being pro-life, then why did you change? And she says, she tells Dave Rubin, oh, just an understanding that the government shouldn't be in the place of dictating to a woman the choice that she should make. Liar. You do not believe that. There's plenty of choices you believe the government should keep women from making, like beating their toddlers, like paying their husbands or physicians to kill their infants. So what is the choice in question? The choice in question is the death of an unborn child that you used to believe had moral worth. And now, they, now, now you don't believe they have moral worth. Oh, sorry. Just at the third trimester, they have moral worth. Tulsi Gabbard will still give, not give any explanation or defense as to what magically occurs at the end of the second trimester and the beginning of the third trimester that magically confers personhood, value, and a right to life to the same baby who is the same baby at all stages of development. So why should there be some restrictions, Tulsi Gabbard? Uh, government shouldn't dictate women what they should do with their body, meaning the body and her body that she consensually engaged in an act of sex that led to the life of that human being. But you can't tell women what to do with the baby that they created. That's wrong. Except you should tell them what they can or cannot do with that baby at the third trimester. That's morally, that's morally permissible. Actually, that's a moral good. I do not want to kill babies at the third trimester. Don't kill them then. Why? Why should there be some restrictions just at that level of development? 
no defenses given. Dishonest villain. Imagine saying, I, I think it's okay to kill my daughter before her first birthday, but not after. That's a gnarly statement to make. You need to give a reason as to why that daughter, why that human being does not have value before their first birthday, but does after. It's equally ludicrous and morally depraved to suggest you can kill that same daughter in the womb before the third trimester, but not after. And the fact that she's not being pushed more heavily on that question is a, is a sign of is a sign of the the true objective journalism of our mainstream media. That what an obvious question to ask. Why? kill babies before the third trimester, but not after. No one's going to answer that question. Even Dave Rubin, who I have a lot more respect for than, than the mainstream media, because he is more respectable, won't even ask her that question. So here's some possible explanations for Tulsi's behavior in becoming a pretty radical pro-abortion candidate from a previously pro-life advocate. Either Tulsi is still pro-life, but is faking pro-choice to get votes. So she still believes the baby has value at all stages of development, but she's faking pro-choice to get votes, meaning that she's willing to walk across the bodies of dead babies for career advancement. So she's a liar, and that's not very pro-life. Secondly, Tulsi is pro-abortion through the day of birth. She's just as much in line with Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, but is faking as a pro-choice moderate because she knows how radical the Democratic Party has gotten, and she knows the Gallup poll that says only 13% of Americans support the legality of abortion in the third trimester, and she knows that most of the American public doesn't like the idea of third trimester abortions, and so she's she's faking as a pro-choice moderate in order to pander for votes that she needs that she knows will be very easy to get because all the rest of her colleagues support abortion to the day of birth. So in this case, she's still a liar and is willing to deceive pro-choice moderates only to swap on them and support killing babies through all nine months of pregnancy after she's elected. Or thirdly, Tulsi believes exactly what she says, which means she believes babies magically receive a right to life with personhood conferring fairy dust at the end of the, se the second, the second trimester ends and the second, the third trimester begins, which is not intellectually honest at all. And it makes her a dishonest villain. So we looked at the ugly, we looked at the bad because this is not as radical, but it's, it's more villainous and it's more deceptive. And now we're going to look at the good. The, the culture has gotten some really good news recently. Now, not if you're a leftist in the culture, but this is good for the culture. And the, the church is celebrating, those are people of good faith, that Kanye West is deciding to follow Jesus. And he recently called abortion killing. So he's being transformed by the renewing of his mind. He's seeing reality with enlightened eyes for the first time. Sadly, many Christians have attacked him. One of his songs, he says that Christians were the first ones to judge me. Really sad that he got as, enough attacks that his new album included that line. We should be celebrating when people come to Jesus. We cannot know the authenticity of that conversion. Only God knows that. So we should celebrate it every time. So he released in his album on Friday, October 25th, just recently called Jesus is King. That's the name of his album. Jesus is King. And here are some lines from his album from various songs. Okay. This, I mean, this, none of this stinks of pride. None of this stinks of career advancement. None of this suggests that he's using Jesus as a platform to expand his fan base and espouse some type of, you know, Christian wealth message or, uh, 
uh, Joel Osteen type of Christianity. So he says, Every, everybody wanted Yandi, then Jesus Christ did the laundry. Now, Yandi was the album he was working on before he got saved, and everyone was excited about it because Kanye West is one of the most popular pop artists in American history. Then Jesus Christ did the laundry. That album's gone, so he produces Jesus as King. He says, to sing of change, you think I'm joking, because Christian said, yeah, right. To praise his name, you ask what I'm smoking. Yes, I understand your reluctancy, but I have a request, you see. Don't throw me up, lay your hands on me. Please pray for me. I need help. It's beautiful. You gonna do what Adam do? Or say, baby, let's put this back on the tree because we have everything we need. I'm no longer enticed by the allure of wealth and the lie of the culture and of Satan that if you just got a little bit more, then you'd be happy. We have everything we need. Kanye West is worth nearly a billion dollars. We have everything we need. I bow down to the king upon the throne. My life is his. I'm no longer my own. This is a completely different Kanye West than the one that we've known for, for at least for millennials entire life. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King is the name of his album. Since his conversion and since the dropping of his new album, he has come out and spoken against the evil of pornography, sharing his story that he was exposed to his dad's playboy at five years old and that that dictated every decision he made for the rest of his life. He's come out and spoke out against the overly sexy outfits that his wife wears by saying that it hurts my soul because you're my wife. He's talked about the futility of money, the importance of our eternal souls, and the supremacy of Jesus. If you're a Christian and your first first response was to doubt him and say, he's probably using this to pander to Christians to get a bigger fan base or or just to get more or just get wealthier off of a sort of get rich quick um, blessings uh, flow up or praises flow up, blessings flow down type of mentality, then shame on you. Honestly, shame on you. You should be celebrating anytime someone comes to Jesus because we can't dictate the authenticity of that conversion until we have fruit to examine. And the only fruit we've had to examine has been, has been other-centered and it's been Christ-elevating. This reminded me of one of C.S. Lewis's most popular quotes when he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. You see that the Christian worldview interprets reality better than any other faith because it's an objective faith. The person of Jesus who predicted and pulled off his own resurrection existed in human history. People saw him, touched him, testified to him being raised from the dead. Hundreds of people saw it. We, our holidays and our calendar turn on the person of Jesus Christ, and he fundamentally altered human history. And so because of that, not only do we know it because there's good reasons to believe it, that there's good evidence that we've seen it, but by it, we see everything else. Kanye's West's eyes have been enlightened within moments of being converted. He's coming out and speaking out against everything else that is contrary to the Christian worldview, that is contrary to the narrative of the gospel that Jesus preached. So by Christianity and Jesus, he truly is seeing everything else with true moral and spiritual clarity. And so he went on a couple interviews. He went on one with Big Boy, who's a who's a radio commentator and a TV uh, for a TV interview. 
and shared a little bit about what's been going on with him. And he came out and called abortion the killing of children. This is really good. Kanye West previously produced a song called Blood on the Leaves, where he actually talked about a man impregnating his mistress and covering it up from his wife. And now he's going to have to stop snorting coke and driving a Mercedes Benz because he's going to have to be a father. So he can't spend as much money on frivolous activity. And then it sort of alludes that he supported the abortion of his mistress to cover up what he did. I mean, this is an entirely different Kanye West. So I want to play you a clip about this really good thing for the culture and this really good conversion of one of the most popular pop culture icons coming to Jesus. Bro, we brainwashed out here, bro. Come on, man, this is a free man talking. Democrats had us voting Democrats for food stamps for years, bro. What are you talking about? Guns in the 80s, taking the fathers out the home, plan B, lowering our votes, making us abort our children, God should not kill. Making us abort our children, thou shalt not kill acknowledging the reality that the Democratic Party is the party of abortion. Now, this is this is linguistic choice here. This is hyperbole. He's not saying that Democrats are making people abort children. No, nobody's dragging black women out of the home. Well, some boyfriends do. Some fathers probably have. But the abortion industry, Planned Parenthood workers, aren't showing up and dragging black women out of the home and forcing them to have abortions. That's not what he means when he says making us abort our children. It means that they have preyed on blacks and they have, they have promised them things that they've never delivered on in order to pander to them and get votes and convince them that they're the party of tolerance, despite the fact that the Democratic Party was the party of slavery and the Republican Party was the party that made slavery illegal with the Democratic Party fighting to keep it legal. And yet the Democratic Party has convinced black Americans for years that they needed to vote for Democrats in order to avoid those racist white Republicans. And those were usually just ad hominem attacks that weren't true in order to increase the likelihood that blacks would vote for Democrats. And now we've read to you the statistics before Planned Parenthood has conveniently located upwards of just under 80% of their abortion clinics within walking distance of communities with high ethnicity, with, with high populations of, of black and minority people, because they do obtain a disproportionate amount of the abortions. So that's what he means, that they've been preying upon blacks, promising them things, telling them that they need plan B, telling them that they need abortion, because they're oftentimes they're poor, oftentimes they struggle to get out of poverty, and this is going to ruin your life. And so here, you need abortion, thou shalt not kill. He's seeing clearly for the first time, and it's beautiful. And as a pop culture icon, who who would be very easy for him to just to just pander and to just stay quiet and to just support what everyone else supports. He's speaking out and he's acknowledging that the reason he's doing so is because he's born again. And it is beautiful. And so he talks about people telling him that this is going to ruin his career. And and he he gives his thoughts on that as well. And I want to play you this last clip. The funny thing is people are like, man, it's going to be harmful for your career. This is going to be, I said, did you worry about that, man? I fear and love God. Mm -hmm. When you remove the fear and love of God, you create the fear and love of everything else. You're talking to somebody right now that only fears God and Jesus has won the victory, bro. That's an entirely different Kanye West. That is not a Kanye West that would be recognizable in any other situation except now, except that now that he's come to Jesus. This is this is the last thing the church expected. This is the last thing the culture expected. That Kanye West 
who less than a year ago was on Jimmy Kimmel and said, yeah, I still look at Pornhub, <laughs> is now admitting that he is a sex addict. His exposure to early pornography wrecked his life. And, and now he's speaking out against pornography, the sexualization of the culture, the sexualization of children, the uh, abortion, and the Democratic Party, who is the party of abortion. And he gets this exactly right. This is a moment of moral and spiritual clarity unparalleled in Hollywood, unparalleled in the mainstream media. There's no way that Kanye West could say this on his own. The f you remove the fear and love of God, you create the fear and love of everything else. This sounds like an evangelical author. This is Christ in him, the hope of glory. Hope springs eternal from the human breast. And he has found his hope. He has found the eternal hope found in the person of Jesus. Because what is abortion but the inordinate love of self? When you remove the fear and love of God, you create the fear and love of everything else. What is abortion but the inordinate love of self? It's not a love focused on the baby you created 99% of times in a consensual act of sex. It's not love for your family. It's not love for your spouse or your boyfriend or your partner who was the co-creator in the life of that child. It's the love of self. Now, whether you feel driven to that abortion out of fear or not, it is still the inordinate love of self. You are focused on yourself above everything else. And without the fear and love of God, there is no fear or love for his commandments. If you don't fear and love God, you don't give two rips about what he has to say for his people and for human flourishing. Laws such as, commandments such as love your neighbor and don't shed innocent blood. What is abortion but the shedding of the innocent blood of unborn neighbors? So Kanye West is seeing this for the first time and it is so good in comparison to the ugly and the bad that we're seeing in the culture and from the politics and from the mainstream media and from the Democratic presidential candidates who support abortion to the day of birth. They do not have the fear and love of God. You see, the fear and love of God creates humility. The fear and love of God tells you, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I don't have it all figured out. So I will seek out the answers and I'll admit when I'm wrong. That's what Kanye West is doing. He's admitted that he was wrong. He was asked later in the interview by Big Boy about his previous comments about Jesus and his previous desire to do a gospel album. And he says, I was deceived. I didn't know the gospel. I didn't know Jesus. He's admitting that he's wrong and seeking out the answers because he's in a position of humility, acknowledging that he has been created by a God who is in control, who came down in human flesh to save and redeem him. And so now he has a respect and fear and love for God, which means he doesn't have a fear and love for everyone else versus Kamala Harris and Cory Booker and Tulsi Gabbard in the mainstream media that pretends to know everything. They have no humility. They have no fear and love of God. They have no humility in saying, maybe we don't know that unborn children are not valuable. Maybe we don't know that abortion is bad for women and the babies that it kills. And yet they pretend to know that babies aren't babies and unborn humans have no worth because the only thing they fear is losing their power. The only thing they fear is the backlash of those who help put them in power. And the only thing they love is themselves. And when you love yourself and you don't fear God, you become your own God. You put yourself on the eternal throne. Therefore, whatever actions 
you deem are necessary to advance your version of the good life in love and worship of yourself is entirely justified and necessary, in fact. And so they will run roughshod over unborn children and constituents and Americans that they lie to in order to get votes because they do not fear and love God and they have no humility. And yet Proverbs 28, 26 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Kanye West is walking in wisdom because he's not trusting in his own mind. He's not leaning on his own understanding, but he's leaning on the wisdom of God who has saved him and he is being delivered. This is good for the culture. This is good for the church. This is good for the pro-life movement. And there are calls from many pundits and pro-life leaders to invite Kanye West to the March for Life to perform songs from his album, Jesus is King. I'm all for it. I think that's a great idea. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining me. Head on over to iTunes and YouTube, Spotify, give this show a review and rating. It helps. If this is helpful for you, let us know so other people can be blessed by it as well. If you want to learn more, engage with me online, head over to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com to view my speaking schedule. If you want to come out and hear me, talk with me, we can engage my training videos and subscribe to my newsletter so you can get the sort of content and equipping delivered to your inbox as well. And consider becoming a patron of the show so we can bring you more content, commentary, and equipping from the front lines of the pro-life movement. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.